0: Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley and with me
1: is Derek Specht. Hello, 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 hello. I'm remote, 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 remote. We are <laughs> locked down. <laughs> yes.
0: And Derek is in his house.
1: I'm, I'm in, in front the... of my fireplace and it's nice and cozy. And... Are you really? Yeah, it's nice. Then why are I'm we doing shorts. this over at your
0: house nice. every week?
1: I know, it's really nice here.
0: Yeah. Huh. Well, joining Derek and I tonight, (laughs) uh, joining us tonight is John Van Berger. How's it going, John?
2: It's going well. How are you guys doing?
0: Not too shabby. You're remote
2: as well. Very
1: remote.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm about, uh, what, 600 miles remote? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. You're that way. How many kilometers is that? Lots. Don't do that to me tonight.
0: (laughs) Uh, It's 0.6 of that. (laughs) Lots. Yeah. I'm leaving it at lots. I'm not doing the calculation.
1: In some of the show notes, I saw that Sean had uh, put temperature in Fahrenheit. and I'm thinking, what the heck?
0: That wasn't me. (laughs) Uh, uh, let's see what's happening mid January already we still don't have well the snow we did have melted Uh, we're back in lockdown I don't know what's going to happen with uh, family day weekend are we going camping or what's going on because they're telling everybody stay at home here in Ontario so I have a feeling I will be ending up having to cancel my Mew Lake uh, reservations yet again got this Nice brand new tent. Can't use it for winter camping.
1: Well, <laughs> me and Stravone talked about that. We're thinking of just uh, pitching our uh, hot tent in the backyard.
0: Well, you know what? I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put up in the backyard and uh, put the put the uh, stove in there and, um, yeah, you know, just enjoy. Yeah, exactly. So tell me if you can hear this.
1: It sounds like crystal. No, that was metal. That was metal. That I thought it was, was going to crystal first, but it was metal.
0: That's my new Ulu knife. Oh, yes. And it's sharp. And I've just got it today.
1: (laughs) Have you lost a fingertip yet?
0: I have not (laughs) yet. I was going to say, on the air. (laughs) (laughs) If you hear some swearing all of a sudden, and then I
2: disappear... We're going to talk about the need for first responders later, but we may have to do that sooner than later.
0: Yeah. Virtual first responders. How do I put this finger back on? No, it's not sticking. Quick, quick Google that. How to sew a finger on. Quick, grab me the masking tape. Get
2: the duct tape. If you were a good bushcrafter, you'd know how to do that.
0: Oh, I tell you. Quick, get me some pine sap. That's right. Put that baby back on. That'll do. Heat it in a can, pour it over the wound, sticks together. Yeah. That'll work, right? Right?
1: Absolutely. Awesome.
0: Uh, So what's new with you, Derek? Anything?
1: Actually, um, (laughs) this is, remember I said that my dehydrator was broken?
0: Yeah, because you never use it?
1: Well, no, I use it a fair amount. That's why I burned out it. I burned it out and overused it. But anyways, the other day I, uh, had a mess in the oven. And I'm like, Oh, this thing has a self clean option. So I went through the manual and I'm trying to figure out how to do the self clean. And I found special settings and my oven has a dehydrate setting. This is really? Can, yeah. Hmm. I can set the temperature. So a fan goes on, it circulates air inside and, uh, right now as we speak i have uh i have uh, jerky drying in the oven at about 135 degrees and uh it's i'm using my plastic trays for my dehydrator because the heat in the oven is no hotter than the heat from the dehydrator right so uh yeah they're uh i think they're about uh, two hours away from being done so I have a dehydrator again. It's just, it's my oven.
0: Well, you better hope that it's not <laughs> much hotter than a dehydrator.
1: Do well, I don't
0: plastic Shimon,
1: turkey. Siobhan came <laughs> home. She goes, what's in the oven? So I opened it. She goes, oh, hey, wait. I said, no, no, <laughs> it's not that hot. But she looked, she saw the plastic trays, right, Yeah. from the dehydrator. She goes, well, mm-hmm. I guess it's not hotter than the dehydrator is. But, yeah, so that's, that's pretty cool. I was, I'm glad that I uh, discovered that in the manual for the oven.
0: I'm going to go through my oven manual now <laughs> and find out. It's pretty neat. Wow. I don't yeah. think I've ever heard of that option on an oven before. I know. <laughs> Next time we need a new oven, I'm going to go, so does it have a dehydrator
1: function? <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. So it's pretty cool. I'm excited I, about it.
2: I remember my dad making venison jerky that way. Um, when we were growing up, he'd go out and, you know, deer hunting and uh, get a deer, and, and he'd just make these you know, huge bins of venison jerky, but he'd do it in the oven. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah? Yeah, well, there, yeah. there's a lot of people, they, they'll put it on the lowest setting of the oven, and they'll crack the door open a bit and
1: right. so they lay it on Because you know? it's hard. Like, and when I just turn the oven on, I can't get it lower than, what is it? I think 175 is the lowest setting unless I put it in dehydrate mode. Right. And so I mm. can go, I can set it as low as 100 degrees.
2: Wow. Yeah. That's so, that's amazing. Oh. I know.
1: So that's pretty cool. I'm excited,
0: and that's okay. not hot enough to melt your trays, eh?
1: Well, no, but my dehydrator would blow air at uh, I think it was what is it up to 160 degrees or something?
0: Okay, hmm. I don't know. My hydrator has an on-off button, and I've been using that no. for 20 years.
1: Yeah, mine. My burned-out one, it uh, it set. Uh, it, you could set the temperature by yeah. a little dial. Yeah. So you could, and, you know, if you were doing, for example, uh, if you're doing spices or, you know, dehydrating like mint leaves or or basil, you would, you could set it at like, you know, 110, 115. If you're doing uh, beef or whatever for jerky, you set it up at like, you know, up to like 145 to 155 or whatever. And so it's, yeah, it has different temperature settings depending on what you're dehydrating.
0: Well, now you don't have any excuse not to be bringing boatloads of dehydrated food on uh, our I second new trip.
1: <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. Well, I know. I'm making. Well, I'm making jerky right now, <laughs> so <laughs> I got it going. Yee-hoo.
0: And of course, you figure it. this out when you're not here.
1: <laughs> yes, you can try it.
0: You couldn't have figured it out like two weeks ago. <laughs> I'll, st- I'll
1: stick a piece of jerky in an envelope and mail it to you.
0: You ought to do that too. <laughs> put a few pieces in a baggie. <laughs> mail them to John. See if they make it across the border.
2: Hey, if it takes as long as that poster took.
0: Oh, I tell you. But maybe <laughs> wonder- the dogs, maybe the dogs will get it.
1: I wonder if you stuck a white label on a piece of jerky and put a stamp on it if the mailman would take a piece of jerky with no 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 protective coating just the jerky with a white label and a stamp
0: well who'd want to eat it after that
1: (laughs) i'd just be curious if the mailman would take it he'd
0: probably just dump it in the bag and go whatever (laughs) and would it would it get sorted properly
2: yeah. Right. Get stuck in the machines. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, <laughs> the, the
0: the tougher, the
1: sniffer dogs. The, the yeah. sniffer dogs at the post office would uh,
2: eat it.
0: They go nuts.
1: <laughs> what are they
0: shaping cocaine? No jerky. <laughs>
2: That's right. They probably or think it's a bomb and call a lockdown or something.
0: Damn Canadian. I don't know, that dog's tail's a wagon. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hmm. So what's new with you, John? Oh, I don't know. Let's see.
1: There's a lot there's, going on down here.
0: There's a lot of stuff going on down there. It's been an exciting yeah. week down there from what I hear.
2: Let's see. What's today? Well, today's the 21st, let me think. Oh, yesterday was a big day. yesterday yeah. was a huge day. I know. It like and it gave me like hope for the future. Uh-huh. And I I am I, I'm just I'm bursting with pride. I am so excited. I got, I got my snowshoes in the mail yesterday. (laughs) Huh? And that gives me hope, man. I'll be able to get out soon. Assuming we get snow. So you got actual
1: snowshoes or did you get build yourself
2: snowshoes? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So I talked to Greg Wilcox at, at Countryways over in Minnesota and told him what I wanted to do, you know, and I wanted to try it out and then, you know, talk about the process. And, um, so I really was interested in one of the kits and I was asking him about, you know, size and with the different kind of trips in mind and stuff and, you know, different styles of snowshoes and, and super nice guy. And he basically, you know, he gave me the info and then he said, but you know, you're probably not going to really be able to use these much this winter. And I thought, well, I you know, maybe slow lacing them, but you know, um, I, I think I'll be able to do it. And uh, it turns out what he was talking about is the lacquer process on it, which I didn't know can be four to five weeks before it's actually dry enough to take out and use.
1: Yeah. So so it has to cure so that moisture mm-hmm. doesn't damage them.
2: Yeah. So, huh. you know, once you're done building it, then you you can either dip it or, you know, basically paint it on, right, with a paintbrush. Yeah. Um, but then it has to cure for like five weeks. And so he sent along with the kit, uh, he sent a fully assembled pair as a loaner. Oh. Yeah, oh that's cool. That. So now I think I'm just going to pretend I made them. <laughs> and send back <laughs> and send the crappy like, ones. I just <laughs> say, look. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Send back the ones that I put together that he'll <laughs> never be able to sell. you will never know. <laughs> yeah, put it on the website, you know, with a with my picture and say, you know, ooh, signed by John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, actually, all joking aside, I'm I'm super excited to to put these together. I it you know I, I was going through the instructions. They have these great instructions set with it, and so I was looking through those, and uh, you know it it makes me understand a little bit more, like why the people that were at the winter camping symposium, uh, snowshoe, uh, class, you know, where, where some of them, you know, you'd see them, they'd be like, Oh man, like, what's up? It's like, Oh, I just wasted like two hours that I have to go back and, you know, redo the lacing down to this point or something where they made a mistake. So, um, I think I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to ask my uh, wife to, uh, keep a good eye on me while I'm doing it because she's, you know, with all the crafts and everything that she does, between the jewelry and the knitting and everything else, uh, she probably have a pretty good sense of, you know, what that is. So um, she'll be quality control on it.
0: <laughs> so she can sit beside you while you're weaving them. Yeah. And every time you make a mistake, she punches you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Don't give her that idea. <laughs>
0: Eventually, you'll, you'll start to take more care. That's right. And by... Time you're halfway through the second one, her punches yeah. should stop.
2: <laughs> you know, I, my cousin uh, Joe, or uh, we call him Joey because he was a snot nosed little kid at the time. Uh, he was older than me, but he was still a snot nosed little kid. Uh, Joey decided uh, that, and very kindly said that he would teach me how to play drums when I was little. And uh, but Joey's method of teaching was every time I did something wrong, he would hit me. Yeah. So it works. <laughs> so we had one lesson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: one lesson. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: basically, you're telling us you're going to have a not quite finished set of snowshoes for sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because my be wife sells. keeps
2: punching me. I'll be selling the kit. <laughs>
0: awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how, uh, you know, bruised up I am. But
0: it's funny how, well, for a couple of things here, how many coats do you have to put on of the varnish?
2: That I can't recall. He, he didn't have it one, listed it out. Yeah. He had it listed out, uh, in there, but I honestly can't recall that right now.
0: Okay. Cause like you put a coat on, let it dry for however long, put a coat on, but the total drying coat with all the coats is mm-hmm. about five weeks.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yep.
0: Uh, but it's funny how over the last couple of years, a lot of people are starting to get back into the making your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lure of the North. they yeah, Like people are always I, buying their make your own anorak and uh, moccasins, right? For winter. Yeah.
1: yeah. Anorak, yep. moccasins, boots, gloves. gloves they, yeah. yeah. they have all these kits. And yeah. I've been thinking about doing it. It's just, it's pretty pricey, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saving up because I, I would like to uh, get do one of their anorak kits. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I saw you know it, the... what? Uh, oh, sorry. uh Kevin Callen's uh, girlfriend. Uh, shoot, what's her name? Christy. Redmond. Christine Redmond so she was uh she over christmas he got her anorak kit and uh every day they posted new pictures of how far she got along with uh with her anorak and so she very quickly put it together and it's uh, it just looks awesome it looks well she makes it look really easy but she's really good at uh at what she does so uh so it was really cool to watch her go through the process of of building the anorak it I think really it neat.
0: took her 4 or 5 days yeah. Do you have sewing machine skills, Derek?
1: I have sewing machine skills, and I have a sewing machine.
0: Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm looking at two sewing machines, buddy. So take that. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. You know what? Like, I just look at that, and I've been tempting, tempted to do the the Anorak um, kit, but then mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, with that kind of money, I'm just gonna buy one. <laughs> I don't want to spend that and then oops <laughs> oh no you weren't supposed to cut that part
1: out <laughs> oh no I messed it up <laughs> no that's where your
0: bum goes
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah and it's,
2: you know they base those those kits are based on the snow walkers companion pattern yes uh, Conover's yes. pattern yeah. yeah and so they you know the nice thing with that is they have it sized and stuff for you and um, you know, so you don't have to do all that and the cutting and, uh, but yeah, it's, I, I didn't realize initially that that was based on a conover's pattern. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. It's really cool that people are starting to get into that sort of thing again. Um, mm-hmm. when we were actually coming back, we hopped the train back from Moosney a couple of years back, there was a, um, first nations lady on the train doing deer hide mox, or, uh, gloves. That's what mm-hmm. she was doing on her trip back down to, to Cochrane. Uh, that was pretty cool, just to sit there and watch her do it. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I could probably do it, but the question is, would I have the patience to do it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Nah, just give me my my mitts, my moccasins, <laughs> my
1: anorak. I'm going outside. But it's, I, I think it would be worthy, like worthwhile to like. It's something you kind of built. Like, it's, yeah, it came from a kit, so you didn't build it from scratch. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it comes as a ready. Ready to make kit. Everything's cut and prepped. You just have to sew it together. So I, I think the just the reward of building your own anorak or or uh, or gloves. I think is, I think it'd be worthwhile. Well, there's really a lot cool. of
0: you can go online and and, and I think uh, lure of the north also says sells patterns and people are going to the second-hand stores and the Sally Ann stuff like that and getting wool blankets. Mm-hmm. And making yep. their own from those.
1: Yes, yeah. I've
0: seen that. Yeah, I think I would go get a five dollar wool blanket. Try it first.
1: <laughs> yeah, I've and I've seen I've seen a lot of uh, stuff online lately with these uh, with the and they use army wool army blankets. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. make all these uh, like, anoraks and and so on out of the wool and it looks pretty cool and and so wool is such a fantastic fabric for the outdoors right it's it, when it's tight enough it's almost waterproof and uh you just you know if you, if you do get wet you can tamp it with snow to get the water out of it so it's a, it's a fantastic to use wool right mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll have to dig out some of my old uh, military blankets from when i was in the navy <laughs> <Start cutting.
0: laughs> uh when are you gonna start your snowshoes, John?
2: I probably will start them the first week of February. I'm trying to I'm doing a number of presentations here coming up for some of the virtual events. And so I need to get out uh into the field and record a couple of those and put those together. So that's my my goal for about the next week and a half and then I'll go ahead and start working on the snowshoes after that.
0: Well, we want to see some uh, before, during, and after shots. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, this is and what I'll it looks hide like those. in the package. <laughs> I'll hide the uh, the finished ones, and then I'll substitute those for mine. <laughs> 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 look what a fabulous <laughs> fabulous job I did! <laughs>
0: oh look, there's today's progress. That part, yeah, that wasn't supposed to break. <laughs> That's gonna be yeah. awesome. Yeah, be awesome. Uh, anything else there, guys? What about you?
1: What's new with you?
0: Ah, oh, just my new Ulu knife. I still haven't cut myself.
1: Yes, yes,
2: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I keep hearing something tapping in the background. I, I do I hear it, the knife.
1: He's, I can yeah, hear he's the playing. metal singing in the background.
2: He's playing with that <laughs> knife.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm going to start throwing them into the wall. Hey! <laughs> Ulu throwing. Uh... There was an article that went around uh, social media there earlier, late last week, beginning of this week. Uh, Kevin Callan wrote a article called "Fake Bushcrafters' Lasting Impacts," and they w- it was published in Paddling Magazine.
1: It did cause a little bit of a stir, didn't it?
0: Um, yeah, and no, yeah, <laughs> <It caused laughs> more a bit than yeah. A bad
1: stir. A lot lot of people agreed with the article. It says, yeah, "Yeah, you know, enough's enough. And other people go, what are you talking about? You know, so, but yeah, it was, I think it was mostly well-received.
0: Yeah. So it talks about a couple of guys that he saw leaving a site in Algonquin Park. Uh, On the site was a makeshift lean-to from freshly cut down trees, lashed together with cordage made of young saplings, uh, they had made an elaborate kitchen area with table and storage compartments. And the conifer boughs cut to make beds in front of a large fire pit away from the designated fire pit area. Um, Bushcrafting and surviving skills have really become popular in the past... How long less Les Stroud been? Around 10 years? Yeah, At least. quite a while, eh? That's when it, I, I first started seeing it become really huge. But, less, I mean, Les Stroud promotes survival. Uh, if something happens, here's how you can survive to get out of it. You guys got guys like Bear Grylls, Ray Mears, Mors uh, Kochansky, You know, they teach the bushcrafting skills. Bushcrafting is not just survival. It's learning to survive in the bush and thrive, right? not just survive till you're rescued.
1: Yes. And you do have to practice these skills to get good at them.
0: Oh, definitely. 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 Um, my opinion is it's a, you know, learning these skills is a great pastime, but you should, it should be done with a more leave no trace element to it. Mm -hmm. Um, there have been a number of YouTubers doing the bush, bush bushcrafting stuff, uh, as well. Uh, but yeah, with the leave no trace thing to it. And I think this is, is the big sort of point that, uh, Kevin was getting at besides the fact that you do, they were doing it in a provincial park. Um, if you're building a shelter, use deadfall. There, there's no reason to cut down fresh trees. When you're done, dismantle the shelter and, and spread it out. So it doesn't look like somebody has been there. Don't practice in areas where it is not allowed. Example, provincial parks, national parks, state parks, stuff like that. Do not practice in environmentally sensitive areas. You're learning to build a shelter, not a house. Now, I know of people, um, I've been told that in Algonquin, people have gone in and built full-on, like, cabin-style shelters, not allowed
1: yeah and it's i i don't get why so i understand people want to practice this skill and they want to do this stuff but they're leaving so much damage behind they're doing it in the inappropriate areas and really i think there should be a little bit more responsibility when it comes to it you, like you can't just you know i'm not going to go build something in somebody's backyard so why would you just go off and do a provincial park or national park and and start Start testing your bushcraft skills, doing all the damage you do, and then walk away and leave whatever structure you built behind. Mm -hmm. It's like you're not improving the campsite, you're, you're damaging it. And, you know, when they cut fresh trees and sh- if you're going to do it, use deadfall. If you're going to do it, use do- don't do damage. Don't leave a lasting effect. And I think this is important, what a lot of people don't get when it comes to a lot of these bushcrafting skills.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, when you're out there practicing, if you can do the the uh, leave no trace aspect of it, um, it gives you a chance to practice your knots, your fire making techniques and all that sort of stuff. And it does give you the chance to practice your leave no trace. Um, I did a, uh, course when I was an air cadets way back in the day, and it was an air crew survival course. Uh, if you're plane crashes in the middle of nowhere, this is how you survive. And at the end of the day that it, we had to make it look like there was nobody there. You know, you, you tossed everything back and this is going back 30 years ago now date myself. Uh, yeah, at least <laughs> thirty, forty, maybe more. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great to be able to practice all this stuff, but yeah, definitely you, you know, use your, use your head, um, safety and leave no trace are the two biggies I, I would take from this. Now, when, after I read all this and thinking, okay, yeah, that's cool. I understand what he's saying. I checked out some bushcraft forums. And Kevin's article has been discussed on a few of these forums. (laughs) Um, He's just an angry guy. (laughs) Uh, He just thinks his way is the only way. Uh, But the majority, even though they felt, well, you know, it was more the tone of the article, the majority of them agree that he has valid points. And what those guys are doing are wrong. And anybody that does things like that and doesn't, you know, disperse and tear down what they put up, they're they're doing it wrong. Um, Most say they, you know, dismantle what you build and at least attempt LNT. uh, Leave no trace. As well, don't do it in areas where it's not allowed. And most make comments about using the deadfall. Uh, there's no reason to cut down living trees. That was a big comment that a lot of people made: was why are they cutting down live trees? There's no reason.
1: Exactly. They should be using existing deadfall, mm-hmm. right? And if it, sure, if you're in an emergency situation, you get stranded overnight while you're out hunting, or or you know whatever, then and, and you don't have a proper shelter, then fine, do what you can to survive. But if you're practicing your skills. And you you shouldn't be going out of your way to be killing live trees and so on, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's just not it's not right the right thing to do. Like I don't know, it's it's really hard to understand the logic of some of these people.
0: Well, and I think part of the problem is is it's easy to go on to YouTube and see people doing this and think, oh, that's cool. I'm going to go do it without the. I don't know, education of leave no trace or the extra yes. thoughts and explanations of here's how you do this, but when you're done, if you're going to practice this. And I think that's the responsibility of the YouTubers to put that in their, their episode saying, if you are going to go out and practice something like this, please practice leave no trace, tear apart what you build and leave the area as close to possible as how you found it. That use Deadfall If it's there, you know, as little impact on the environment as possible. Uh, and that's where the, the responsibility of the YouTubers comes in when the, cause you know, people are, they're putting it up there so people watch it. So if people are watching it, you know, some of them are going to go out and try what you've just showed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I think,
2: you know, and it does come back to, you know, the comment that, that you two had made, I don't know, probably a month ago now or something when you were talking about etiquette. Mm hmm you know, like etiquette guides for doing these. And and that really is an education thing um, that the YouTubers need to emphasize. Yeah. And, you know, this is what you need when you're done. <laughs> it, you know, it should be in an area that, that would allow it, but then when you're done, and that, that seems to be missing from the equation.
0: Oh, definitely. Uh, and there, when you're out bushcrafting, do you really need to make yourself a full on kitchen with storage compartments and everything?
1: I know, right. Right. Why are you trying to duplicate your house in the bush? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not survival.
2: (laughs) Right.
0: Um, Yeah. But no, I, I fully agree that if you're going to get into bushcrafting, you definitely need to get out there and put that into practice at some point, you know, practice your skills that you're learning. So if something happens, you've at least been able to practice. Um, you know, learn your, you know, practice your knots and practice your fire making skills and all that, as I'd said earlier there, but you've also got to practice your leave no trace and leaving the environment as you found it. Um, Yes. so yeah, it was nice to see that, you know, once, once the, uh, the bushcrafters on the forums discussing this got past the Kevin's an angry old guy, (laughs) they actually did agree with everything he had said. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, what else here? You know, let's take a quick break here, and uh, we'll come back. And I got another one, two, three, four, five, ten, twelve things to talk about here. So, <laughs> oh my too many, gosh, things. Right? Too many here things all week. This is going to be another eighteen-hour <laughs> episode, boys. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Sean Rowley, and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back. So, I was actually talking with our sponsor, Algonquin Outfitters, the other day. Uh, I've been watching too much Letter Kenny lately, John. So I, was <laughs> I know. Al- I, when Al- you said
2: that, I was just like, the other day. <laughs> I was talking to
0: Algonquin Outfitters the other day.
2: Do you know I went up and found the house and got my picture outside of it? Did you realize how much of a nerd I am. Yeah, when I came out uh, for the uh David Bane's winter camping symposium. Yep. yep. Um on the way home, I decided to go up to Sudbury and I thought, you know what? I'm just gonna go find the farmhouse and get my picture taken and and uh and I did find it and and was a complete <laughs> nerd. And
0: yeah. That's it awesome. Is. I would have too man yeah. if you're up
2: there. And they seemed upset when I was peeking in the windows and stuff. But,
0: you, know. <laughs> you should have seen how upset they I were mean, when I walked in to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't watched Letterkenny, um there is quite uh, it, it is a funny show but um there's one of those uh beware the language um announcements at the beginning sort of thing. Anyway, uh, I was talking to Algonquin Outfitters the other day and they're telling me if last summer and this winter are anything to go by, summer 2021 is going to be the same.
1: Yeah. Stock up on thing.
0: gear if you need it.
1: Get your freeze-dried food now. Get your fuel. Yep. If you need any any uh, air mattresses or sleep bags or whatever.
0: If you're looking at buying a new canoe, yeah. kayak, or stand-up paddleboard, yep. you'll probably do not want to leave it to the last minute. Uh, as well, if you go to com, their website, they have some of their old fleets that they give away. They're not giveaway. they sell, yeah, um, they have uh, canoes, kayaks, and stuff listed on there, so they're they're rental fleets, but they're given away at a really good price, so um, oh, who's drinking what, Derek? <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> do you think That's you're doing that quietly?
1: actually, I put it right by the microphone, <laughs> yeah, <it was> rising? <laughs> um.
0: If you go to com, they have online shopping and right now all their they they have a bunch of yeti uh you know the mugs and stuff. Okay. Um they got a bunch of discontinued stuff that that's on sale right now if you're looking for something. So uh yeah, don't don't leave it to the last minute if you're thinking of you need gear and stuff cuz they figure it's going to be exactly the same um mm-hmm. uh, as last summer. If you go to AlgonquinOutfitters.com, check out the events tab. Uh, They have the Banff Film Festival Virtual Edition going right now. And it's pretty much exactly the same as how we're doing the Paddling Film Festival. They've got a couple of different options with a group of films under each option. $15 US for a three-day rental period. Um, Yeah, AlgonquinOutfitters.com. Click the... Uh, go to the events tab and then click the link for the BAMP Film Festival. But it's all—it's not paddling related. It's like mountain climbing, skiing, and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, and if you're under the events tab, go to their monthly photo contest and you can win. And they have a weekly contest for a hundred-dollar Algonquin Outfitter gift card that you can win. Just sign up and say this is me, and they do a weekly draw for a, a gift card. So oh, nice. Yeah. Speaking of contests, this is a Ah. big contest week. If you go to our Facebook page, there is a post there. You can win an autographed copy of Frank Wolf's book, Lines on a Map. Uh, Find the post there, and we'll keep boot. I just got to figure out how to keep bumping it to the top. Um,
1: Did you see the comment on there? So you have to comment, and you have to say who you'd share it with or something, right? Yeah. And somebody said, hey, well, if I win, I'll share it with Derek so that he can read it. Yeah. <laughs> like, thanks.
0: Well, on the post, I put, in conjunction with Derek's book club. <laughs> <laughs> but I read this
1: one. Yeah, the
0: one he read, the one he's actually read. Uh, so yeah, go find our post on our Facebook page, do the like and share this post, tag a friend that will want to borrow the book from you and we'll pick a winner on Tuesday, January 26th and, uh, somebody will win an autographed copy from Frank Wolf, uh, of his book Lines on a Map. Um, That's cool. th- yeah, it'll, uh, yeah, it's nice to, uh, he said, yeah, just send me, send me the winner's name and address and he'll autograph it and send it out to them. So
2: I have a. Can I share my contest as well?
0: If it's a date with you again, <laughs> I'm tired of winning.
2: <laughs> well, I was going to offer the listeners uh, a crisp, clean, broken, barricas. newly minted <laughs> $20 <shoes>. bill. Yeah, <laughs> A $20 bill, a beautiful, crisp, clean $20 U.S. bill. If they could come up with uh, what the topic of the between segments uh, non-recorded part of the podcast was tonight.
0: I don't think people want to know.
2: <laughs> I'm sure they don't want to know. <laughs>
0: um, other than that, any other contests? <laughs> <laughs> You can win a date with John or Derek. There you go. (laughs) Uh, Just got to run it by their wives first. Uh, We were talking about first responders and stuff like that. Um, And John, it's funny because you posted, you shared an article with Derek and I about a Canadian Mm -hmm. thing. And Derek shared an article about an American thing. So, yeah. <laughs> let's talk. I'm just going to sit back, sip my whiskey, and you guys can talk first response responders and and uh what happened.
2: John, you go first. <laughs> All right. Uh there have been unfortunately some uh you know some tragic winter camping and and hiking stories in the media lately, you know, with uh, and particularly with young people out and uh so there was an incident over in british columbia recently with a 17 year old young man uh who survived uh some some time in uh the wilderness and i saw the (laughs) article and was like you know it's it'd be nice to share some good news and Mm -hmm. so this is the one that i sent to you was uh uh, a young guy 17 years old uh, a young hockey player who was out snowmobiling with his dad and his brother? Um, his brother's machine stalled out. Dad stopped to help him, and and Robert just you know took off. And uh, so he was down the trail, um, you know, a good good distance down the trail, and realized that they weren't around. And he ended up uh, trying to backtrack. He couldn't backtrack exactly. Ended up going down into a ravine. And ended up basically building himself a snow cave, or it sounded like a Quincy, a lot of mm-hmm. it, you know, from what they described, and built a uh, snow cave and was ready to spend the night there. The father and brother realized, uh, you know, that he was gone. They couldn't find him. And They ended up calling in search and rescue. And search and rescue ended up uh, being able to get him. Uh, I think it was. About ten forty-five at night, so he didn't actually even have to spend the evening out. Um, they found him that quickly, yeah. and it was just kind of a nice thing that, you know, he he thought about the, you know, what's what's going to be the way to do this. Mm-hmm. He had something. And there's a great quote. He said something like, you know, he had half a ham sandwich left or something, mm-hmm. and that was it. So he knew it was going to be uncomfortable, and so he built this with uh, in a shelter in a couple hours and got in there and kind of was hunkered down, expecting to spend the night but he also you know he didn't panic and he expected that he would be found
0: well that's the main thing is, is not you know, panicking right
2: right and and also to the other thing that he did he stayed in one location he didn't you know keep wandering keep going farther you know off the the path that uh, they expected to find him so that was a positive he parked his uh, snowmobile in an area where it could be easily seen nearby mm-hmm. so you know he he was thinking you know of the proper things what was interesting was the, there was a quote from his mother, uh, at the end of the story, you know, and they're talking about how, you know, pleased they were and everything. Um, but it also, uh, it was interesting because she said, uh, you know, the next time that he goes out, it's going to be with, you know, like a tarp and fire starter and more food. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so it was a, it was a, it was, a a happy ending to a story that, that could have, you know, could have been bad. Um, the neat thing about this kid is that he um, wants to be either like an emerge. I think they said he wants to be an emergency room nurse. Um, or, or a paramedic. Work paramedic. As a paramedic yeah. yeah. And so that's, yeah, cool story and, and something nice given some of the other news stories that we've seen lately.
0: Well, a couple things about this article. Um, there's a, a quote and i don't think they should have really said who the quote was from it says with an elevation of roughly 7200 feet the mountain is known for its caribou population its grizzly bears and temperatures that can fall as low as minus 58 degrees fahrenheit according to val severin <laughs> a funeral director
2: <laughs> yeah, like oh, well, you're really close to for a funeral yeah. director. Well, they're also a volunteer rescue
0: well. manager, right? But yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> and that's that's where he, you know, the volunteer rescue managers is really what they're quoting there. But yeah, that that they say he's a funeral director, just like oh God, where's the story going?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. The other thing that sort of threw it for me was. I don't know about newer skidoos, but back in the day, and I'm talking way back in the day when I was a kid, we used to go skidooing. you know, we lived up in Moose Knee and stuff like that. But the seat would lift up and there was storage space under there. Does that not exist on skidoos today that you can, that you would have like emergency stuff there just in case? I guess. Like when you're, when you're going out back country like that, anything can happen. Would you not have some stuff in each skidoo just in case something happened?
2: I would think so, but. Well, you know what? If you're going to the mountains, you should. Yeah. 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 Well, that's just going by what his mom said,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But, uh, no, yeah, I mean, the fact that he had the wherewithal to find an open spot, and it describes in the article where, you know, he saw this line of trees, he'd head that way, he parked his snowmobile out in the middle of this clearing so that it could be seen from, you know, if somebody came out from the bush any which way, or the helicopter or a plane came over, they'd be able to see it. Um, and then he just started building. I mean, did you hear, you saw what he says about how it looked, right? Uh, this they're calling it a snow cave. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Seven feet deep, three yeah. feet wide, seven feet in length, uh, built a door, hole underneath for ventilation, shelves for his belongings.
2: Um, <laughs> that a, actually kind of made me laugh when I read that piece. Shelves for his shelves, belongings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, well,
0: how long were you <laughs> in, planning on living in?
2: How long as he it was like planning a, on living there? It's like a teenager <laughs> having a room in the basement, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it took me about 2 hours to build it
0: i was shivering so i so i couldn't sleep but i was confident my structure would allow me to survive i also thought i would be rescued and was more bored than scared mm-hmm. all those canadians eh <laughs> <laughs> but you know like i mean everybody getting together and uh like you say with the with the first responders and stuff like that if they didn't jump right on it, you know, and they, and the funeral director, who was a volunteer rescue, um, <laughs> you get everybody all together and everybody gets out, they do their job and yeah, it's a, a good ending, right?
1: Yeah. Yes. And, yeah.
0: But you have to have the wherewithal in your group that's out there to know things as well. Like Derek, when you guys went on the, um, Burt Reynolds Memorial River run this year, you know, you guys had an incident that happened, which we've discussed on another show. And, um, you guys all, you know, boom, boom, boom. You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. And at the end of the day, uh, everything worked out well. So this leads us to your article.
1: Yes. And, uh, so the one that I came across, it's, uh, she didn't. I don't. Didn't see see her last name, but her first name is Sandra. She has a blog, Spokeswoman Adventures, and uh, so this happened just uh, well uh, four days ago. Uh, so four days ago, they were uh, this girl and a, and a group of her friends, and there are several groups of people there kayaking the Russell Fork Gorge, and uh, so it's a uh, it's a set of a series of whitewater. Uh, various classes of whitewater and so you, you can run this route and then you can portage back up following a, a train track and get to the top and rerun it right right so what they did is uh they they ran it and they got to the takeout and so she was with uh, several groups at that time and, and three of the guys in her group said, well, we're going to run it again. Do you want to go? She said, no, I'm cold. And I'm going to sit in the in the van and warm myself up and I'll wait for you guys to come back. And then they're going to camp and go kayaking again the next day. So, uh, so they got, they hauled their kayaks up the train tracks and went back up to the top again. And uh, so they were gone a long time and everybody left. She was the only one behind. And uh, so, later in the day say around 4 4:30ish two of the guys came down and she was like joking hey what you do with uh what you do with the goat? did you lose him and uh, they said well no he's uh he's portaging back down he when when they were when they got up to the top of the uh of the portage route they, it's very steep to get that back down to the river so they roped the kayaks down and uh and the Dakota guy he he, the rope slipped out of his hand he dropped his kayak and it just smashed the the, the uh, he had uh, the took out the back end of his uh, whitewater kayak and so he couldn't paddle it it's got a big hole in the back right right and so mm-hmm. he it was decided that okay he's gonna he's gonna take the train track back down to the bottom again and and link up with Sandra and then the other two guys would uh, would run the route so the boys ran the route they linked back up with Sandra. And uh, so they, they, and they were like, well, geez, Dakota should have been here by now. Like what's going on? So they said, okay, well, we'll go up to the, uh, the uh, meeting spot and uh, the rendezvous point And we'll see if he's there, because that's where, you know, that's where he should be coming off the train tracks from. Right. Right. And uh, so it's, it's a, it's a rally point anyway. So they went up, th- they went up to there and he's not there. And so, they decide, okay, well, let's start walking the train track. They walk the train track, and it, it's getting starting to get dark now. And it's like, well, we can't wait any longer. We're going to have to call rescue. So they called rescue, and uh, so police, firefighters, and so on, they all start to show up. They all start to, you know, gather information, and and so they're they they make all these arrangements. They're going to, and, and and so the uh, it was a single unit rescue that came and the rescue people were saying that all the kayakers like there must have been like a, a dozen or more kayakers that showed up to help with the search they said they didn't need to call out at any other search facilities because all these kayakers showed up and they were their own force to to deal with right they were like okay we don't have to call in extra because you guys are like fantastic it's like we we have our own search team right so mm-hmm. What they ended up doing, they walked the track, and there's a series of three tunnels. This is like near Elkhorn City. It's Kentucky-Virginia border. They cross the so the train tracks and the river crosses the 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 Kentucky and the Virginia border, and uh, so they walked the tracks, and it was it had snowed, and uh, but they didn't find any footprints in the snow, and they started contacting the the railroad. The railroad says, "Yeah, we have two trains coming through. We'll we'll slow down and we'll keep an eye out." And so they got a report back from this freight train that said, "Yeah, we saw a kayak inside one of the tunnels." They're like, "Oh, well, I guess it's good that we found something." Like, where is the guy, right? So I, I don't want to drag out too much, but long story short, they had all kinds of people there. They had they had uh, search hounds to, for for tracking his scent and so on, and they never found him all night long. They did locate the kayak. And it was in the tunnel. And uh, so the next morning, the the uh, rangers were going down side roads. And, and there's this dude in his uh, in his dry suit and walking down the road. And the ranger goes, we've been looking for you. So as it turns out, this Dakota guy, so all these, there was like dozens of search people and kayakers all pulled together. They all came from the campground and helped search. In the end, what had happened, he was hiking down the train track and he got to one of the tunnels. He didn't have any, didn't have a phone on him. Didn't have any, any way to light his way. And he got into the tunnel. It was too dark. It was a very oppressive, too dark. He didn't know how long the tunnel was. And, uh, so it kind of freaked him out. So he ran back out, dropped his kayak, ran back out. He tried three times to walk through that tunnel. He just couldn't make it through because it was just too dark. So he went up mm. over the tunnel and, uh, and because it got so dark he couldn't determine where the track was so he just hunkered down for the night and uh, there, so he had a cococat dry suit and they're saying that cococat dry suit saved his life because it was able to keep him warm through the night right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, so in the end they did find him uh, but it was he had uh, he he was he had a broken finger but otherwise he was unhurt and uh, the cococat dry suit saved his life and so in the end the search and rescue it it it, it all it was a happy ending so they found them healthy and safe and and so on right so but uh, it was uh, it was neat to see and read the description of how the search and rescue all played out and uh, about the the river part of it and and the run and how the, this whole thing is just a big loop you can cut, go back up the tracks redo the route and so on right it's a common way for people to redo the route so it was uh, it's an interesting story it's uh, interesting to see how it all came about and uh it was a very well written blog by uh this sandra when she's uh she's very articulate and well, uh
0: I liked how she was describing like they didn't call search and rescue right away because they all knew in their mind, okay, this is what we need to do yes On, you know we need to go over here backtrack this way, you need to go this way and backtrack that way and find yep. out keep your phones keep watch the time all that so they had all their their, their teeth they crossed had, da- eyes dotted exactly. sort of thing
1: so they had a plan of action in their heads and so they said well let's try self rescue first this let's, let's see if we can find Dakota and 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 before we have to you know interrupt and and bother the the rescue people but in the end after it's getting dark now it's become life-threatening because yeah. it's going to get very cold at night and he's going to mm-hmm. be out exposed we don't know if he got run over by a train or you know at one point they're saying uh well we don't know if there's a murder out there that's uh killing people walking the tracks type thing right because- oh yeah
0: because there's one person they were trying to get a hold of on the phone and they couldn't get a hold of that person either
1: it was Sandra. So she, yeah. she got in the tunnel and took her 20 minutes to get through the tunnel. So she said, I'll call you back in 10 minutes. And then 20 minutes later, she finally got out of the tunnel and got a cell signal again. Hey, yeah, I'm safe. I'm good. Yeah. Oh, we thought there was a murderer loose. <laughs> Taking everybody out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. You got, when you're going through places, you really like you say, you stay calm, use your brain and exactly. sort of have that plan of action. You know what? This is what we need to do to to find. Now, when they said they saw the train or the the kayak in the train tunnel, what was your first thought?
1: I thought he had gotten hit by the train and he's stuck on the nose of a train somewhere.
0: I figured maybe (laughs) he jumped the train to ride it to town and it didn't go to town. Oh. (laughs) And he was boogieing along somewhere. (laughs) And they were going to find him like in Louisiana or something.
2: (laughs) Like a 1930s, you know, hobo adventure story, right? Figured, oh, you know, I'm just going to jump the
0: train and I'll take it to town. People still
2: jump trains these days.
1: Yeah. That's not not an old thing. That's a current thing.
0: Have you ever stood beside a fat, like, I'm talking like 10, 15 feet beside the tracks as a freight train's ripping by?
1: I have, yeah. That is scary. It is. It's, uh, And the thing that uh, makes me nervous is I, I, in my mind, I just keep thinking, man, if there's, am I able to run out of the way fast enough if there's a derailment? No. <laughs> you're no. you're no. toast. Run! <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, you know what? The minute that that they called, search and rescue, first responders, they were on the way.
1: Yes, it was very quick. They were saying that the search and rescue was sh- had shown up before they could even get their own group back together, mm-hmm. and it was uh, so it was like search and rescue was coming from all directions. There was rangers coming down the tracks. There was, there was state police come down the tracks. They they had uh, arranged for uh, a bloodhound to come and and pick up the scent. Unfortunately, because of the snow, the bloodhound was it, they can't really track scent that easily in snow. Yeah. But it was the thought was good. Plus, they had search and rescue guys out on on uh, ATVs and and so on, right? So uh, so it was uh, it was very quickly put together. And but you know what? When it comes to search and rescue time is important, right? When it comes to exposure, like if if he's, if he's slipped and falled and he's bleeding out or he's like hit his head and he's, you know, time is of the essence. And that's why search and rescue, they show up as fast as they possibly can. As, as John would know, you've worked with this, with your, with your charity and so on for so many years.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that uh, like, you know, going through that article, the, the number of people involved in that was, was pretty amazing, right? But it is that it is, you know, time is of the essence. And that's, you know, when, when we talk about, when we go out and we talk about first aid kits and stuff, for the example, too, it's like time is of the essence. If you need to have these things with you, you know, the the British Columbia thing with the the young man, I mean, it's great it had a happy ending, but if, if he had had, you know, um, the 10 essentials, for example, you know, uh, if he had had the 10 essentials with him, it would have been less of a worry for people, Yeah. you know, but again, the first, the first responders there, they were, they were quick, they were out and, you know, he didn't, he wasn't even out there overnight. So, um, so huge, um, props to, to these groups of first responders. And, you know, so many of these people are volunteers too, right? Yep. And so many of these are a lot of these, and particularly in snow country, and you know they're they're community members. Their funeral funeral directors, just in case.
0: (laughs) Hey Phil, we got a client for you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So what you're saying is he's drumming up business. He's an ambulance chasing
0: lawyer. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's like an old uh you know the old uh, western movies where you you see there's about to be a shootout and the funeral director comes up and starts measuring the guys before the shootout
2: exactly right
0: yeah we yeah. got that morbid sense of humor don't we
2: <laughs> but uh yeah it's you know time is of the essence and, and they have these people that are committed to doing this and you know it's it's but you know i think the other thing that's interesting with with both of these stories is it shows how, how something so simple can, can immediately turn wrong. Yeah. You know, when when you're, when you're, especially in winter when it's colder and you know, it doesn't take much when uh, a friend and I were well, two weeks ago, um, when a friend and I were out, we were just taking a hike out in the backwoods and had a nice fire going. We thought, Jesus, a nice day. Let's, let's just, you know, I had some, uh, had brought some firewood along and thought, no, let's just go ahead and, and uh, finish burning the firewood and we'll take a walk and then, you know, head home. And uh, was out there and everything was fine, having a great time. I've got uh, two headlamps with me because I believe in redundant systems and both headlamps failed. Both, of them. you know, yeah, both of them in the cold, cold matters. yeah, and uh, you know, so uh, one of them, one of them actually didn't work after that. the other one. When it was warmer, came back, but you know, it's something simple like that. You know, we, I knew where we were, and uh in, in the hike, it was very easy. Where you know, because I've I've been down that area a lot, but if it's a new area, that could have been a problem, right? Mm-hmm. It's yeah, just I- something very simple.
0: It doesn't take much to go turn south, does
2: it? Yeah, and and once and what I what I think is always interesting when you read these stories, and again, you know, very happy that both of these have have a happy ending. Is once one thing goes wrong, how quickly that can be followed either by bad decisions or just bad luck. Yeah, exactly. You know, so so that that preparation of you know, the mom is saying, "Well, next time he's going out with a tarp and a fire starter and, you know, more and food. food. And, it's, yeah. it's kind of like you need that every time. It's well, just, well, it's, the, it's just an every kit. time thing. Yep.
0: You know, yep. if you got your oh shit kit in your canoe,
2: yeah. Then and, and the thing, you know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, like that's 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 sort of that's my takeaway from these two things is, uh, well, sort of not more the first one than the second one. Um, the second mm-hmm. one, like I said, he was decide he's going to go over top of the, the tunnel instead of through it. And it turned into this mountain, um, scenario that he wasn't prepared for and had to hunker down. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're going up into the mountains skidooing and there's a chance something's going to happen, could happen.
2: Yeah.
0: And you're not prepared for it. Like, I, I, that's the part that boggles me is why did mm-hmm. you not have. Extra stuff just in case.
2: Right. Yep. And and the oh shit kit that you mentioned, uh, which you can find on our website, uh theoutdoorkind.org. Um again, it's the Um we've got a list of of suggested things that you can take out and some suggestions for uh, winter as well. We have uh, our four season brochures up on that. And you know, it's it's just so critical to have that with you in case something happens. Yeah, and it's and it doesn't take much either, right? So I take more than anybody I know uh, out in my <laughs> right in, in my kits, and they are they're two small dry bags between the first aid kit and the oh shit kit, and so it's it's not that much weight, and it's worth having. Oh yeah, um... you know.
0: We've gone on hikes that are supposed to be quick hikes. Oh, it'll only be an hour. We'll take a couple of bottles of water sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But I always throw my, uh, or sorry, when I say bottles, I mean Nalgene's. But I always throw my water filter in just in case. And there's been a couple of hikes Mm -hmm. that have taken a lot longer than that should have been. And, or it's just been so hot that, you know, halfway through the hike, we've gone through those Nalgene's of water. You know, and it's just sort of like, yeah. well, what if, what if, and I mean, that goes along the going way, way back to when we were Cub Scouts, always be prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's nice, it's nice yeah. to have the, uh, the, the first responders come out and do their jobs and, you know, lickety split and get you back to, to safety, but be prepared. So maybe you, you're, you're good and you know, you're not in bad straits once the first responders find you or you know, you're, you're able to figure out where you are and, and get yourself out sort of thing.
2: Yeah. My winter uh, hiking day pack, if you will, is my ultralight backpack because I throw extra so many extra things in there just in case. You know, I've got the tarp. I've got uh, a good uh, zero-degree quilt. I've got a, a pad. And then, like you mentioned, with extra water, the water filter. And, yeah. You know, I've got that stuff with me just because it can just turn so quickly and it, it, you know, when I have it all in my pack, it's not even 15 pounds. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's not like you really even notice having it there. Right. So, yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's, it's a little extra prep, but it's worth it. If, if something, you know, if something turns, something goes bad. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, you know what, like I I've always been one for making sure I've got that little extra bit. Uh mm-hmm. you, you talk about things that have happened and people are like, well, why would you do that then? You know, if you know something might happen. Well, an accident is called an accident for a reason. It's not something you mm-hmm. plan on happening. It happens. Unexpectedly. Yeah. It's an accident. Yep. That's the whole sort of nature of what an accident is. And right. I've been on trips where Uh, I mean, the biggest one that I I always remember is I went on a canoe trip into Algonquin Park, a solo canoe trip in October. I was going for a few days. And the second day, everything turned to an ice storm, which was totally unexpected. Um, Mm -hmm. Doing my, well, what ifs at this time of year, I had enough of the proper gear that I could get out safely and came home a few days early. Um, Yeah. You know, it's the what ifs. But with the ice and stuff like that if i if i turned an ankle on one of the portages because i slipped on ice it wasn't what i had planned it was an accident it it could happen just like that yeah and then all of a yeah. sudden i'm stuck um in the in between where i was supposed to be and where i started from cuz people wouldn't have known i was actually coming back because of all the ice the ice storm oh yeah right so you got to, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, accidents are going to happen. And, and if I had twisted an ankle and I had not been able to get out, then at some point, I'm sure first uh, responders would have been on their way. Huh. Yeah. I I had actually had spot at that point too. I had mm-hmm. my spot unit at that point. So I would have pressed that uh, at some point And when I knew I couldn't get out and the weather was the way it was, I would have uh, set up a tarp uh at the end of a portage and hit the hit the spot button mhm yeah you know so yeah
1: have you ever tested your spot
0: um i used to but uh i've i never had to actually use it
1: I've never, I've never, I didn't know you could actually test them. And I was just going through the process because I had just gotten my new Zaleo and and I was going on the trip with Mike and I thought, you know what, I I need to know if this thing actually works. Mm -hmm. So I ended up contacting uh, Zaleo and they put me in contact with Rescue Services and Rescue Services said, okay, book a time. I said, okay, 5 p.m. So I booked the time. They contacted me. Yep, your time is approved. And then I got on the, they called me. At home and they said okay we're setting up for your test i said okay they said okay push the push the emergency button i pushed the emergency button okay we received the signal and then they sent a signal back did you receive the response signal i said yeah receive the response signal it was really neat it was was very very official they were it's it just it was a process that because my concern was i've heard that some of the spot gen threes were having difficulty that uh, some people are pushing the button and it just didn't work
0: yeah Mm. um i know that I had the spot gen one. That's how old mine is. It was like a brick. Uh but I know some people were saying that you couldn't get reception if you were if you were on a portage and you yeah. had the tracking mm-hmm. going. Like okay. it would show you at the beginning of the portage when you're on the lake. But oh, all yeah. during the portage, unless it was a like if you were in trees, you would you would you would get intermittent Heartless signal? Yes. Yeah, intermittent right. signal.
2: Uh, yep. But. Yeah, and and it's the same thing with the, like, the inReach as well, you know, that you can test that. Um, it'll There's a test service. It'll send out a message, and then you'll receive back a confirmation message so that you know it's ready to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is, you know, and again, and, and the interesting thing with that, too, uh, uh, I'm not sure about with the spot, but with the inReach, one, one thing that can be helpful with these is when you go, uh, let's say you go, I don't know, you're in uh, Sean, you're up in Ajax and you're in Bowmanville, mm-hmm. Derek. So if you guys you know a considerable distance from Algonquin for example mm-hmm. if I know with the inReach, one of the the sort of tips that they tell you is after you've set up the system and everything, when you get to your location of where you're going to be you know playing, uh, so if you get up to Algonquin, you go ahead let it uh, acquire the satellites up there. Before you go out in the field, for example, let, you know, make sure that it's set up for there so it doesn't have to try to, uh, uh, like, if you just have it off and have it in your pack, oh, now we've got an emergency and we pull it out. It it has to basically readjust and realign. Yeah. And that's going to take time. So when you get someplace where you're going to go play or go paddle, hike, whatever it might be, you know, make sure that you turn it on. Let it, uh, let it figure out where it's at and that will save time. Again, when we're talking about, you know, times of the essence, that's a good thing to do once you get someplace.
0: Yeah. And see my spot unit, one of the benefits I had was the, uh, or extra services I had was the tracking, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that, you know, my wife and that could follow on the map and see where I was and yeah, he's up and he's on the move this early in the morning and he's made camp. That must be where he's camping, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, you always had it on sort of deal. The one thing I didn't know though, was it stops after 24 hours. Cause I forgot to turn it off one night. Mm-hmm. And after 24 hours, I found out that it wasn't sending up a signal anymore. You have to reset your spot <laughs> at least once every 24 hours.
1: Oh, okay. Turn it
0: off, turn it back on.
2: Oh,
0: that was, well, that was, that was the gen one. I don't know if they fixed that now or not, but, Um, yeah, if, if you were, if you were in an emergency and you hit that, you know, come and get me button and kept on walking, then eventually at some point they would lose your signal because you didn't reset it after 24 hours. Hmm. Mm Hmm.
2: It's a, it's an interesting, interesting thing with the technology and the rescue technology, because I think it's, uh, was it John from whiskey Jack, uh, toboggans. He yep. was talking about going out and uh, was on a trip with some friends, and the I can't remember which device he had, but it sent out uh, an SOS without him knowing. He hadn't done anything to it. Oh, wow. Really? And he, he and his friends are sitting around a campfire. They're like on an island or something, sitting around a campfire, and they hear a helicopter come in, and the helicopter comes in and lands on the island
0: <laughs> uh-huh. the
2: the... Search and rescue came out looking for them because this thing sent out a a false, wow, false false positive, if you will. Were they charged for this? uh, No, because it was not. It wasn't somebody. You know, they weren't messing around. Anything like that. So, but it was. Yeah, it was the device's fault.
1: Hmm.
2: So these, you know, these things do occasionally happen. You know, there's. uh, (laughs) <laughs> my parents even uh, just with their regular phone line, uh, they started. It started ringing at the house, like and it it wouldn't stop ringing. Yeah. I thought, well, that's really odd, you know. So we'll unplug the phone or whatever. And it uh, it turned out that in the process of of whatever was wrong with the lines, it sent out a nine one one call, oh. <laughs> and the sheriff showed up at my parents' house. And they said, "Is everything okay? You know, you you called nine one one. Can we, you know, what can we do to help?" And they said, "Well, we we didn't call." And uh, you know, same sort of thing, right? And it's just one of those little technology quirks that mm-hmm. occasionally those those false, you know, Skynet false rescue notes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Somebody's calling from within the house. <laughs>
2: <That's
1: right.
2: laughs> I'll be back. And that's when the killer with a claw for a hand, With a claw for a hand.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: she had a hook
2: hand, but uh. those are the rare stories too, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, John is the only one that I know of that's ever had that happen. <laughs> so uh, it, they're absolutely worth the uh, the price. They're expensive, but they're worth the price.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Do do do. I think that's all I've got this week.
1: Yes, we've covered mm-hmm. a lot actually. Yeah, it's gonna be another long episode.
0: Uh, just over an hour.
2: You got somewhere to be, Derek?
1: I am exactly <laughs> where I need to be.
2: Let's see, you're sitting in front of a fire, drinking a couple of beers. Why are you complaining yeah. there? Yeah. I'm not complaining. Yeah. I, I would, you could be upstairs would, with the screaming like,
0: kids, the nagging I'm, wife.
1: I'm concerned for the <laughs> listeners who have to painfully listen through our podcast for over an hour. What
2: do you mean painfully? <laughs> painfully. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I like your negative attitude. Yeah. You're fired. Sean,
0: I- <laughs> I'm docking Yay! your pay.
1: I'm docking your pay. Docking my pay. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, 20 because bucks. I, docking my pay means I have to bring more beer?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so since you're not coming here until the lockdown's over, well, just, that's true. I'm gonna just to drop it of off on beer. my step.
1: I have to order order some beer for your house online because yeah. I'm not going there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thought you would have thought of this already, but apparently these are the people I'm working with.
1: <laughs> hey, remember that uh, super sour beer that I found that none of us could drink? Yeah, I'm sending you a case of that.
0: <laughs> that none of us will drink? <laughs> Derek strikes back. <laughs> I'm going to send him a picture of me actually drinking it just to spite him.
1: <laughs> your eyeball turning inside out.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, Hair um, growing back
1: on top of your head.
0: Oh, that'd be awesome. I'd drink it just for that. <laughs> Next time you see me after the lockdown I got a big off uh, fro going on. <laughs>
1: Look my hair came
0: back. Hair down to my butt. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Bring back
1: the good old there days. There you
0: go. <laughs> uh you guys got anything else this week?
1: I got nada.
2: Nothing. 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 Nothing.
0: Nothing. Well, if you want to find out
2: more about us,
0: you can find us at PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. If you go to the episode page at PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com, you can listen to all our episodes, download or stream them. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with all your friends, family, and Anybody you know that paddles. Uh, don't forget to hit up our Facebook page for the Paddling Film Festival tickets and the chance to win um, lines on a map from Frank Wolf an autographed copy. John, thanks for being on this week. Thanks for having me. Uh, let us know how those snowshoes start handling in a couple of weeks.
1: Oh, oh I, I can't go. wait.
0: It's going to be great. <laughs> I want to thank yeah. everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley.
1: And I'm Derek Specht.